Welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production, all the way to release and reception. It is, is it a season? What is this? I don't, Chris, is it a cycle, a theme? I think uh, it's whatever you want to call it. I've been using the word cycle in my conversations like with myself. Yeah. Um, it's like yeah. It's like it's just, we're, we're doing, yeah, we're doing a little rundown. Uh, we wanted to kind of uh, collect our episodes in a more uh, kind of film trace style fashion. We wanted to be a little more organized. And as I think you've put out on Twitter, a little wonkier. Um, So we are diving in. We're not just tracing individual films each episode. Throughout this uh, batch of episodes, we are tracing the uh, evolution of self-aware horror. And this was kind of your baby concept. You're going to put me on the spot, aren't you? So putting you on the spot, Dan, um, (laughs) to kind of uh, help us figure out where we are in the 2010s. Late 2000s, early 2010s with self-aware horror, because that's the Um, focus of today's episode. Before I do that, we got to let's get Evan in here. Oh, gosh, Uh, we have a guest. God damn it. Evan uh, from Spoiler Peace Theater Podcast, which is uh, an awesome podcast based out of Boston. Evan, say hello. And uh, I don't know what what you would you guys cover recently? Sundance, probably. Oh, shucks. Uh, Hey, everybody. I'm Evan Crean. I (laughs) co-host Spoiler Peace Theater. we yeah most recent episode was sundance um i'm trying to think what else we've talked about recently we talked about uh bell eternals um you guys did most... top 10 films of 2021 i listened a little bit of that what was yeah. your number one uh my number one was language lessons did, did you guys see that I've one i've seen that no i wanted to i don't know anything about that yeah, it's really good. It's um, it's written and directed by Natalie Morales, who actually had two movies come out last year that she right. wrote and directed. Is it Plan B was the other one? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And this one's supposed and to be better than that. Yeah. Yeah, I like I liked language lessons better. I did like both, but yeah, this one's about um, it was shot during COVID, and so it was it's about two people connecting over over Zoom and FaceTime uh, over taking Spanish lessons. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Yeah. A COVID film hit your number one. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Um, that's awesome. Uh, so how do we even start this, Evan? I don't know. I guess the spotlight's on me, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I have to answer. Okay, so the start of this was definitely Scream 5 coming out. So It's just um, called Scream, Dan. <laughs> God, don't even start with me. Uh, <laughs> that annoys me too. <laughs> uh, we'll have to we'll have to dive in that film because that will be part of this cycle. Um, when that came out, I sort of was thinking about and we were thinking about themes and sort of collecting films together. Horror has always been my favorite genre, uh, and with the new Scream coming out, it, it felt like uh, a you know a dive into sort of another layer of postmodernism uh mm-hmm. and i have i did see it and thinking about it a lot more it feels like self-aware horror is in a very strange place right now mm-hmm. um you know i think it really did kick off with scream in 1996 you know one of the better postmodern horror films ever made it's been going for you know over 25 years now uh and sort of pops up here and there in horror films kind of became a, the lingual you know like how we see horror is through a postmodern lens at this point so I kind of want to check in and see, one, how it evolved, and two, see where it has taken us uh, with Scream 2022. Is that the official title? Is that how I say it? Scream 2022? <laughs> we, we can call it Scream 5, because fuck it. Scream 5. Which, you know, by the no. way, 
it's already so successful that mm. Scream 6 got greenlit today. So it's, wow. you know, it's uh, definitely a home run. But I really wanted to, yeah, I want to dive into this, um, I guess you call it subgenre of horror, but it's so pervasive and has been since Scream that it's just become, you know, it's the primary lens through which horror is experienced, which is postmodernism or self-aware horror. I don't know. How does that take sound for you, Chris? I mean, does that sound like a, a good yeah, point? Yeah, absolutely. I think we struggled a bit with whether to really kind of focus on the term postmodern versus uh, self-aware, which is maybe a little I, more I like postmodern. Why, why don't you not want to use postmodernism? I get concerned with the academia of it all yeah. um, because while I think uh, there's – absolutely arguments to be made that the movies we're covering on this batch of episodes, this cycle of film trace uh, have postmodern elements. Um, there's a lot of people that are persnickety about that definition. Um, I don't know. I don't know. For instance, um, if uh, a lot of the, mo- the horror movies that we see nowadays um, really fit into what was happening in the 90s when the original Scream came oh, out. Oh, true. Okay. As well as in yeah. other genres like Pulp Fiction in 94 with regards sense. to crime and noir, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, that's open for conversation. I think that's one of the f- fun things about this is uh, we kind of get to get messy a little bit. What's your take, Evan? Because you actually covered uh, the central film we're focusing on today cabin in the woods back when it was released in 2012 yeah, so i'm old take us back we're old too man yeah, uh, what what uh what was your experience um kind of visited uh experiencing that movie for the first time and then you also had a chance to to visit an interview with two of the stars which is pretty yeah. amazing yeah um i mean first of all i love that you guys picked this as a theme for the the season of the show um, I've always been a big fan of horror. I've been a big fan of horror comedy. I love self-aware horror movies. I love talking about postmodernism. This is like just ticking a lot of boxes for me. Um, yeah, I would agree that Scream really is a turning point for the genre in terms of kind of taking shape of what we've seen, you know, today. I mean, I think there's plenty of self-aware horror movies, you know, from earlier on even you know sam raimi and the evil dead films i feel like are a really good example of being kind of like self-aware and and using pastiche and really just kind of playing with a lot of different genres but um yeah i i when i saw cabin in the woods um i really enjoyed it i mean i (laughs) i went in with very low expectations and um i was just pleasantly surprised to watch a horror movie that was i thought at, at the time and still think now very self-aware you know paying homage to the genre while kind of playing within its rules and then for me anyway i think it's just a good horror movie too like i think it works as a horror movie um and i think part of that has to do with the fact that it just uh it plays the gore and the uh the kills and things like that very straight (laughs) like the rest of the movie there's a Mm -hmm. lot of jokes but when it comes to like the actual killing and the violence it plays it pretty straight and for me that's why i think it works um but yeah i mean it was a fun movie to see at the time i really dug it i was definitely on the same wavelength and uh i had a lot of fun talking with fran kranz and kristen Connolly about the movie it seemed like they you know, were really plugged into what the film was trying to do and the, the tone, they both, you know, had a blast working on it. 
And also, I think, you know, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but it also had like a weird yeah. ride in terms of like being made and then sitting on the shelf for a few mm. years before it finally came out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was what shot technically in 2009. And then mm-hmm. the original release was MGM 2010, February. And I can't really, what happened? I don't know if you guys have more information about the financial difficulties that they had. Did they like run out of money? Did they go bankrupt? I don't remember. Yeah. The MGM went bankrupt at the time, and um, so this and a few other movies, I think, sat on the shelf. This and uh, the new Red Dawn, which Red also Dawn, starred yeah. Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah, those sat on the shelf for a few years until was it? Uh, who 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 bailed them out? Was it Lionsgate? Lionsgate, Lionsgate? yeah, Lionsgate yeah. bought this in I think April or July 2011, uh, and then they they played it at what was that thing? God. It was something. It's some like film festival in Austin. Oh, yeah. Southwest Southwest. Yeah, something. Yeah, it, it was one of those. It was. Things. It was the Dumb Buttathon first. Which oh, uh, was that? Ain't it cool? No, ain't it cool news? Right. Something? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then and then South by picked it up, and that's where you know it all the national buzz started taking off for sure. Well, mm-hmm. That might be a good place to start here because uh, I mean, you saw it when it came out. You saw it, like right in theaters, like in probably 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, when did you see this? Uh, I think I didn't see it until uh, the DVD release. I believe it was a Redbox rental for me. <laughs> Good old Redbox. Dollar DVDs nice. can't beat it. Absolutely. Um, um, how about you, Dan? I avoided this film. Uh, so <laughs> oh. I followed. I was Uh-oh. huge into uh, Ain't It Cool News, all that kind of stuff. I knew all about the buzz. I knew about the production stuff back when it was happening. Uh, and I just, for whatever reason, I was like, yeah, I don't want to see this. Um, which is, I don't know why. I can't really pinpoint why I wasn't into it. Uh, it just seemed like one of those films that um, was just like very cool and hip, but like I, maybe I was too much of a curmudgeon to see it. So I avoided it till about three years ago. Uh, I went camping with a friend and she's like, well, we should watch this movie because you've never seen it. Uh, so I saw it in 2019 for the first time. Uh, and yeah, it, it probably hits very different than mm-hmm. it did back in 2012 or some people 2011. Uh, yeah, it's a, you know we've had a lot has happened in the horror genre since then, um, and I think you know here's I'm gonna throw this out there a tough tough question right now, and I think Evan you already answered it from your side. Oh boy, <laughs> would you say that this is a horror movie first or comedy movie first? Evan, I'll let you sort of. What do you think? Yeah, it sounds like you want to say it's a horror movie, right? Yeah, that's that's where I would oh, say. Man. So. Okay, so. <laughs> Yeah, because I I think I'm more on the side of it being a comedy, first and foremost. I actually, I think I agree with you. I think it, to me, it works a little bit more as a comedy, um, just because uh, the horror elements, for whatever reason, don't never click for me. And on my rewatch, I was like, I laughed a lot more, really enjoyed it. Um, But I think that the thing there is like, is it ever really scary? Uh, and it goes into like a bigger question. How do you define horror films? Right. True, um, true. You know, what has to mm-hmm. be there for it to actually be a horror film? And I think for me, just like baseline is it's got to be scary uh, or it's got to be like unnerving. Like I would look mm-hmm. to a movie like Hereditary or Midsummer, where it's just like kind of like, ugh, ugh you like, want to leave the theater. Um, <laughs> or, you know, even something like torture porn stuff. Like I'm thinking Hostel, which I just rewatched. Don't ask why. 
Um, <laughs> I wasn't you know, going it's to. like, is it, is it disgust? Is it scared? It's like is under it, your skin kind of feeling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't, I don't, for me personally, cabin in the woods really didn't do much of that. Uh, it didn't make me laugh a ton. I mean, it's an absolutely hilarious movie. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Whedon. Okay, well, first of all, we got to address the elephant in the room, right? Yes. We're, we're talking about Joss. We have to do this <laughs> Yeah, sorry. I, got, I, I can't say the dude's name without just like throwing a wrench in the whole mix. Yeah, um, this is going to be tough. We'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in that and come back because I do want to answer your question. Yeah. Uh, when the film came out, he called it, quote, a loving hate letter to the genre which is a really strange uh, kind of way to describe something that you co-write or something that you <laughs> create yourself. Uh, because I, I get, you know, the, the contradiction of it all. Um, but as, you know, we've seen all the way dating back to Scream or like you said, Evan, the Evil Dead films, perhaps even mm-hmm. earlier with just like how, you know, uh, raucous like the monster movies are of the 50s and 60s like Mm -hmm. there's always been that kind of element of comedy in horror like it's essentially it's relief theory right whether you're letting go of a scream or a laugh it's it's like two sides of the same coin and so to kind of have those two seen as oppositional rather than closely related feels kind of it, 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 I feel like I got way less anyways of the horror vibes when we re- watched this movie this week compared to when I watched it Redbox rental, you know, 10 years ago, uh, uh, late at night, um, anticipating a horror movie. But I also knew going in, um, because of Whedon's pred- pedigree, um, I was never a huge Buffy guy or, uh, you weren't a huge Buffy person. No, no, God, I wasn't. Um, uh, nor was I really that big into Firefly. Um, but I, for whatever reason, once again, don't ask why, uh, got super into the, the latest show he did before Cabin in the Woods, uh, Dollhouse on Fox, okay. yeah. which also co-starred Fran Kranz. Um, and I had gotten really uh, kind of used to the classic house style of a Whedon um kind of uh, kitchen sink style uh, science fiction, which there's definitely that element in here too, right? Where it's like how much of this is, um, and we're getting to spoiler territory, which I don't know why you would press play on a Cabin in the Woods podcast in 2022 without anticipating that. (laughs) But the whole conceit, and uh, even down to one of the things that stood out to me the most in my rewatch was like the the opening title sequence literally like freeze frames on uh, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford in like a golf cart spilling coffee on themselves. Right. So Mm -hmm. like you, it's almost like from the get go, you know that yes, this is, there's going to be, this is going to be a lot of things just like Whedon projects are a lot of things, but first and foremost, it's going to be uh, a comedic um, self-aware, very, precocious and smarmy uh delivery system and yeah. that's ultimately what i got out of it but i want to hear your side of it evan 
So, yeah, I mean, a funny story about that particular scene that you're mentioning. I was reading that apparently they wanted to have kind of this goofy, just completely like uh, almost like disconnected scene in the beginning because they thought it would be funny if someone like walked in and was like, wait a minute, am I in the right movie theater <laughs> based on the opening scene? Yeah. But um, I think for me, the horror is not really so much about being frightened but it's it's about the systems that the movie is um is showing like these old world systems of control and this idea that like all of these people need to be killed as part of some experiment like just twisted experiment designed to torture them and make them suffer before they die <laughs> yeah and um, okay, I think, yeah now i'm picking it up a little bit more. <laughs> i think for me that's that's the the real horror more so than uh individual like scares or or gore but it's this system that exists this ancient system that is um trapped all of these people and and does so it seems like at least once a year <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's kind of this um I mean, what do we make of the, I mean, obviously it, spoilers are, are out the window at this point. Like it's going to happen if you haven't seen it yet and you want to see it, obviously go see it. It is uh, uh, streaming on Peacock right now. What was that? It is streaming for free on Peacock right now. Oh yeah, there you go. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, the entire concept of it, it was funny. I read one of these reviews and they're basically like, well, the big reveal is essentially they have to sacrifice these people. Uh, is it ever really explained like why it's the horror movie um, sort of <laughs> no <ritual laughs> to it or is like is there something mm-hmm. special where like they have to like be scared when they die it's like mm-hmm. they have to f- fulfill the tropes right like it doesn't yeah. uh, the sacrifice isn't effective unless uh, you know the the uh, the jock character isn't also dumb like they they're trying to like lower his cognitive abilities yeah. mm-hmm. even though he's you know f- their full-on s- academic scholarship um and similar with like the virgin has to be the last one remaining and it's optional whether or not she lives okay but, so they, ha- but, they have to fulfill the trial right which is which is fun that's clever yeah right? that, that's fun uh but i do think uh, I, that is something that i thought more about this time around like you said dan there's the the whole question like the words horror movie are never said, I believe, in the script, right? Uh, whether mm-hmm. in the world of the college kids or the world of um, the staff on hand, the right. mysterious the, organization, the whatever. Organization. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is a question, I think, of like, what is it about those ancient gods, uh, you know, led or... Uh, the the giant hand that comes up in the final shot of this giant whatever it is i mean that's part of the fun is the unknown and that's also i think one of the uh tenets of horror movies right is that there that's what makes them effective is that there is that element of the unknown but that there is kind of this weird disconnect which also i think plays into the comedy of it as well where like is it about the the these tropes being fulfilled because they're horror movies or is it that like are they suggesting or implying that um horror movies became so prevalent in our society because Um, those are based on the ancient rituals of these gods that are being kept mm -hmm. at bay 
I don't know. You guys what? are getting yeah. so much more out of this movie than I got out of it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so much better in this movie than I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, here's another one, another uh, tough one. Who's the protagonist in this movie? <laughs> I know it's waiting for you. You're what, dude? Uh, I'm a genre purist. I, I like know. the story structure. Uh, because the, I think, you know, when looking back on this movie, I, I was thinking, I was thinking about this in the shower this morning, actually. So I watched it like last Dan's night. shower thoughts. Love it. Shower <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Um, the, uh, the guys and the sort of the workers, the office space type white collar workers, I am way more interested in their story than I am the teenagers in the woods. Yeah. Now, <sighs> And we spend a lot of time with them. Uh, but it does kind of point towards the, you know, the final girl being the protagonist. She's the last one to mm-hmm. make the choice. And she basically, you know, ends the world with her choice. Is she the, like, how, what do you guys think about that? Cause it's, I don't know. It's such a minefield, you know, when you talk about self-aware horror and I love that we're talking about this movie because it is probably the most self-aware horror movie out there. But is it, you know, as the one of the reviewers, is it too clever by half? Like, is it is there a core narrative happening here that you can latch on to or that you latched on to? I, I mean, I think the default answer is Kristen Connolly's character. Um, But I do think you when I mean, when I the the thing I was most excited about when I put this movie back on is my guy, Richard Jenkins. Like, he's amazing every scene that that's that's who i wanted to be on my screen uh but definitely not a main character much less the protagonist um whereas go back to scream also very much a self-aware horror movie not to the extent not in like as much of a no like transparent way as cabin in the woods um but while that's also an ensemble movie like cabin in the woods it's sydney's story right yeah so mm-hmm. I think that's that's where it's like, you know, I come back to it and obviously uh, Scream came out at a formative time in my life, you know, discovering and becoming obsessed with horror movies, whereas Cabin in the Woods is uh, a very fun, clever drop in the bucket uh, that came out when I was an adult, you know, not too far out of college. And then all I go back to, and maybe you're right, maybe they're that purest part of you uh, I do empathize with in this instance, Dan, because like I can easily say like Sydney's story mattered and got under my skin just as much as Scream entertains. Whereas Cabin in the Woods, entertaining as hell, clever, but there's nothing there that really sits with me. I'm really fascinated by this idea of systems that you mentioned, Evan. And so I'm wondering, is that more of the part of it that really resonates with you still 10 years later yeah absolutely and I, i'm actually going to answer the question about who i think the protagonist is Here we go. Yeah, here we go. even just a few minutes ago i was thinking you know you know it's dana kristen Connolly's character she's you know the final girl it's you know the fate of the world hinges on her but i'm actually gonna say i think marty i think fran mm-hmm. kranz yeah, is the protagonist of this that. movie yeah, yeah he um he has the he has a direct relationship with the audience. Yes. Like whether yeah. whether we want to say he's officially breaking the fourth wall or not, he has a direct link to the audience because he is wise to all of these things in his stoner wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> he's aware of the manipulation, even if he doesn't understand how it's happening. 
and the idea that he's able to a you know figure out that they're like in in many scenes like there there's a scene where you know chris hemsworth is like um we got to stick together and then they pump the gas and he's like uh we got to split up <laughs> and marty's like really come on guys <laughs> but it, it's like he finds the camera he finds the control mm-hmm. shaft he's able to manipulate the elevator i feel like marty's the protagonist here <laughs> yeah i think that's a, that's a really yeah and he's basically the hero right because he survives the kill that allows the ritual to uh, fail essentially uh because even if the final girl was still alive it wouldn't have mattered right because like he was the one Mm -hmm. who had to die am i correct in saying right right Mm -hmm. you're right that's what screwed everything up yeah yeah he's the hero essentially um but she kind of makes the choice at the end not to kill him so i think you know obviously they're both heroes at the end of the day um (laughs) but uh I mean, is it, did your, uh, Evan, specifically pointed to you, what has changed uh, uh, in the 10 years that you've seen uh, that has gone by about this movie? Is, has your opinion changed at all? Mm. I mean, Maybe my opinion of Joss Whedon has certainly changed in the last <laughs> well, 10 years. That, that's what I was kind of, you know, I was There's our opening to that. I was still <laughs> going into it. Yeah. Um, um, it's uncomfortable to think about his association with this movie, especially because, I mean, Drew Goddard did direct it, but he co-wrote it with Whedon, and it, it, it does kind of bear his Whedon's stamp in many ways. His, like, sense of humor, his kind of, like, you know, goofy um, take on the, the, the paranormal and... So yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable to think about his association with the movie, just knowing what I know about him now in his personal life and how he treats the people he works with or has worked with, because I don't know who he's working with now. But yeah. um, that hey, definitely has colored name. my perspective <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> but like, otherwise, though, I think it for me, it's, it's held up. Like, I think yeah. maybe it's not as like... I can I can understand your arguments about it being more comedy than horror, and I think the more I watch it, the more I end up, you know, laughing more than being, you know, scared or really feeling like, oh man, this is truly terrifying. So maybe that's maybe that's a little bit of my change. Is I'm I'm more I'm coming more to your side of thinking about it as comedy first more than horror. Um, but I still think it works as both. And I think I'm still leading with horror, but who knows, maybe if I watch it a few more times, I'll come <laughs> to see the light. <laughs> um, yeah. What do we do with the Josh? I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, it's weird for me because I saw it after the initial Josh Whedon stuff started to come out. Yeah. Uh, so I think obviously that colored my viewpoint of the movie that I was seeing, but I mean, I was also a massive Buffy fan. It was like my favorite thing in high school. Um, so I think for me, it's like, th- I think, seeing this movie it has the weed in voice it has that mm-hmm. kind of mm, how can i put this aggro nerd am i allowed to say does that make sense <laughs> yeah yeah okay I think, like, I think i know where you're going with this <laughs> yeah there's just like this very um self-righteous almost pompous i was looking for words for this the other day i was like i don't really know what this is um but it sounds like he's in some way saying hey i'm kind of smarter than everybody else uh i'm gonna you know punch uh, or poke holes into all this entire genre and how people view these movies and that sort of stuff and you're gonna laugh with me because i'm funny 
uh, and you know that it's mostly true. Uh, but there's a weird, I, I do, I've, and I've always felt this, and it's one of the reasons I, I avoided this. The first, there's like a really kind of cynical undercurrent to it. And like, I think the ending specifically is sort of, um, I don't know, would you call mm-hmm. the ending cynical or nihilistic? Yeah. I, I don't really know. What, would. How would you guys define the ending? Because it's so specific. Because it's a downer ending. It's not a happy ending at all. <laughs> um and i don't i i just sort of connected that all together in my head and be like ah, god i don't know uh it's certainly a fun movie and i laugh a lot and it really does hit a home run in terms of skewering a lot of the genre the horror genre but there's a little unsettledness to the whole thing uh that i I notice every time i watch it um i don't know am i off base on saying that are you guys getting any tinge that at all i'm i mean you you said yes right away evan so i'm curious what your well why you gravitate that so quickly i think i do too but i need a little i need a little convincing sure Mm. so i mean like when faced with the choice of sacrificing yourself (laughs) and ending the entire world you choose saving yourself i mean (laughs) i feel like that's kind of a fuck it all ending you know it's just like Mm. you know who cares like (laughs) maybe the world needs to burn but it's like it's more than the world burning like the world is going to straight up end and (laughs) hell will literally be wrought upon earth and i feel like it doesn't get more nihilist than that <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it, yeah it's kind it, of something it brings up for me the debate my wife and i always have about environmentalism <laughs> not to bring this to a completely different <laughs> Here we go. side you know, rogan you're gonna start out <laughs> yeah about, uh, climate no, see climate real. is everything <laughs> um but what is that it does and maybe that's where my uh, tendency to like push back against, maybe I'm not pushing back against the interpretation, but just pushing it yeah. back against that in general, because like both in my rewatch this week and 10 years ago, I think that ending happened. I was just like, huh, yep, makes sense. But like <laughs> actually analyzing it, it's like, yeah, that's what, what does that say about the worldview here? I mean, is there some yeah. like, is, is that like Joss's own ugliness kind of coming through? Oh, well, that's what I read it as. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to kind of be a fly on the room while the room where him and Drew hash out the ending. Uh, and is that is that was that always just like a foregone conclusion of how they just really wanted to just literally blow everything up at the end? Well, yeah. Um, I don't. To me, that's why I'm drawing like the parallel between the smarminess and the pompousness and the sort of right. self righteousness. To me, it's like yeah. a direct line. Um, um, Dan, I wanted to ask you something since you're sure. you're saying us you're such a big uh, you watched Buffy so much. Yeah, I didn't see Buffy when I was younger, and I I started watching it in the last couple of years, and I yeah. forget where I left off somewhere in the middle. But um. One of the one of the characters who I just straight up can't stand is, is Xander, and I've heard that yes. a lot of Xander it comes from Joss Whedon, the, the smarminess, the sh- yes. like bad jokes, the like just bad attitude, the shitty way he treats Buffy. And I'm yeah. just curious, like if you found that in, in rewatch, or if or if you feel like because because I feel like we're talking about Joss Whedon now and his kind of yes. imprint on things. So yeah, I want to know totally, more yeah. about what you think. about that and possibly if you saw that in other areas here in the film aside from the ending yeah i mean there is 
when I'm the who who did the is it New York Mag or Vulture that did the recent piece on him? Um, um yeah, it was I think it was New York Mag, yeah. And they they mentioned the Xander thing and a little bit, and I don't know, I had never really thought about that that much, and then going back and thinking about it, and I was like, oh, oh, oh that yeah, it's literally a direct mirror of him. Like, there's no fictional sort of disconnect. Like, it's literally like him inserting himself inside Buffy uh, in sort of that universe and that perspective. And I think that's, to me, it's like kind of made it a little bit, um, I it made this movie a little bit uncomfortable just because if you look back at the sort of the creator's eye view here and you think about it mm-hmm. from that level of like writing this movie, I think they said they wrote it in three days or something. And you know, going through all the special effects, it's a $30 million movie. This is not a small film. And like, that is what, with those resources, you come out with this at the end. It does kind of rub me the wrong way in it, in the sense that like, oh, I feel a little bit like this is kind of who I was, or this is how I talked about things. or this is how I viewed culture and other people. And, you know, you move on from that eventually. Hopefully you do as you grow and mature and have different experiences. Um, and I don't, you know, we didn't, didn't, it didn't seem like when I'm seeing this movie, it didn't, I don't see a lot of that maturity there at all. There's still that sort of 16, 17 year old, hey, I'm better than everybody else. Um, and like, let me kind of skewer and make fun of everything else without really doing anything on their own. And now that's mm-hmm. unfair, completely unfair. But I think within this movie, that vibe is there, uh, if that makes sense. There's sort of mm-hmm. this very standoffish um, feeling to it, which I don't know. I just, and I, I was arguing with my roommate about this. Um, and I was like, and I actually have argued on Reddit about this many times, this movie. Oh boy. <laughs> you gone to and, the mat, uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that I was there to me, now this is very much my personal opinion. And I don't know if I can back it up at all. Uh, but there's almost like a slight disrespect towards the genre. Do you guys get that pick up on that at all? Well, that's I mean, that's where it kind of began, right? Was the Whedon's quote about it being a loving hate letter. Like, uh, I mean, at what point do you does the contradiction just not equate? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing that this is making me think of is the whole kind of argument that's you know, been tossed around with postmodernism in general, um, but especially with regards to the horror genre, I feel in terms of like how uh, depictions of women are mm-hmm. uh, treated in this kind of self-aware, almost like it's a vacuum, right? Like the um, argument that, you know, as, if it's parody or if it's self-aware, then it can't be misogynist. Same thing with like racist jokes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's some of that definitely happening in here. Like there's, there's some mm-hmm. gratuitous, uh, butt shots and, um, I mean, <laughs> of course, yeah, you know, and, and it's done in service of the, you know, ancient gods. And it, it, there's also that wink, wink, nudge, nudge with voyeurism and, uh, the people in the lab watching what's happening while also like trying to orchestrate it. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's cunning, but it's still, reads i think especially post whedon gate as uh discomforting so going back yeah. to your original 
definition of horror, Dan, like that idea of something getting under your skin. <laughs> like I didn't really get that because I was still so um, kind of enamored with the jokey jokes of it all. But like thinking back, I'm like, man, if I were to ever rewatch this, that's going to absolutely be in my head because we've had this conversation first. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. that feels gross to me now. So fuck. <laughs> but, 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 yeah, I mean, <laughs> unintentional horror, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the horror of the human male mind, even at its most clever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to hear your take on on my ridiculous notion that this is disrespectful to the genre. I know it's an absurd <laughs> take, but I just want to I want to hear reaction. I mean, I was really responding to what Chris was saying uh, a moment ago about the uh, misogyny of it. Um, Because you had asked me before, you know, Dan, had my opinion changed? And that is another area where I feel like this movie hit differently on this viewing. The parts that, you know, are supposed to be that the wink, wink piece, as Chris was saying, they they just, it... uh, it didn't go down the same way. It really right. felt uncomfortable on this viewing. Uh, even if it was supposed to be like, oh, we got to play into genre tropes here. It just felt gross. <laughs> <laughs> it was one part of the movie that just, I was kind of like not really paying as much attention during the like, oh, let's wait for her to take her top off scene. I was just kind of like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> Um, but getting back to what you know, you'd ask me about your your take on this as being disrespectful, I, and I think this movie is a weird double edged sword that could cut both ways. Like, yeah. I think for me, it feels like homage, like it feels like love to the genre. But you could just as easily turn around and say this is somebody flipping the bird at the genre and yeah. you know they they made a house that's basically the the cabin from evil dead mm-hmm. and they threw a bunch of shit in the basement and a bunch of monsters up in the in a kitchen sink <laughs> format to say look we've done it all there's nothing new to do you know fuck you guys <laughs> like mm-hmm. i'm just going to make a movie that's like making fun of all that <laughs> yeah i think i think you really can see it either way and that that might be one of the actual attractions or sort of um, great things about the movie mm-hmm. is it does pl- kind of play both ways. Right. Um, and I don't mean to say it as a cop out because like, but, but you, you're saying it and I feel like I'm also thinking about it this way now. So I'm kind of like, I'm not completely on your side, but I'm also <laughs> feeling like. You're making some good points here. <laughs> That's the first point I've ever said that this podcast. <laughs> it's probably true, myself included. Um, should we uh, should we switch to our chaser? Yes, our chaser film. So this is a little bit new. Obviously, you know we're doing the main film here, and we're going to close it out with a different film, uh, sort of tangent- tangentially related here. Um, we're going to do 2007 comedy horror or horror comedy uh, film Teeth um now what's the story did you guys see this already are you guys coming to this cold or you guys saw this back in 2007 i i saw it back in 2007 once again i it might I, I feel like Lionsgate and i are red box soulmates and <laughs> uh that's almost certainly how i came across it yeah. um what about you evan is this new for you yeah this was the first time i had seen this <laughs> oh, 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 oh man wow i want to hear yeah. your reaction then Yes. Oh man, this movie is bonkers, but like in a really entertaining way. I mean, yeah. you, you, the title alone, Teeth, you're like, okay, vag- Vagina Dentata. Like, I know 
yeah. I kind of know what I'm in for, but at the same time, just seeing it all play out is it's just so insane. Yeah. It, yeah. It's totally, it, it is a crazy film and it's a lot crazier than I remember it. Um, when I first saw this, I was just like, oh, this, this is so cool. I think I heard it through like Sundance buzz. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I gotta see this movie. I don't know if I saw it. In, I doubt I saw it in theaters. I'd be probably too, too embarrassed to see it in theaters. Um, and I think I, yeah. And it just, it hit me as like, oh, wow, this is really, it's really low budget, but really good. Uh, it's like indie in the right ways. And it had a very strong message, I thought. And on rewatch, I love it even more. Like, I don't even, th- <laughs> to me, this aged incredibly well, which is so bonkers to me. I don't, Chris, did you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, I definitely still think it's a really good, I don't know if I'd call it great. Um, I think there is definitely some amateurishness to mm-hmm. it. It's it's the debut of the director, Mitchell Lichtenstein, Lichten, Lichtenstein and he uh, hasn't done much uh, in the like 15 years since. Um, he had a really uh, poorly reviewed Parker Posey movie in 2009 called Happy Tears and a uh, very middling reviewed uh, movie, Angelica, in 2015, um, which was also uh, more of a straight horror thriller. Um, but so I, there, there's some, I guess I take it off for some style points, but in terms of like the core of it, like it's just in, it's both insane that it exists and insane that it took so long for it to get made considering like the, the lasting mythology behind the premise. Right. Um, I think it's, uh, for me, the things that worked best on the rewatch were, um, the set pieces. I think that if you want to see how horror and comedy really do line up, look at nearly every kill scene, which is not, mm-hmm. or not kill scene, but attack scene, whatever you want to call it, bite scene. <laughs> uh, and the way that it's just orchestrated um, from the perspective of uh, no, that whole like trope of with horror movies, you know exactly what's going to happen. And yet it still keeps you on pins and needles. Like, just it's emotionally uh and it both in a kind of off-putting pleasurable way but also in just like a squeamish gross out way um and that's that's pretty impressive that they're able to do that not once not twice but at least three really big times throughout the movie yeah i feel like this movie's a little bit lost am i wrong in saying that in terms of like its uh, its, its reputation over its the years, cachet, like yeah, like I, I don't feel like I hear anybody, especially younger people, uh, talk about this movie. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do you guys have any yeah. insight into that? I mean, at, the, curious, Evan. Why why do you think it took you so long to to come around to seeing Teeth? Do you recall it coming out back in oh seven oh eight? Was I, I guess the more wide release. I don't remember it coming out. I do remember hearing people talk about it over the years and it sounding like a really entertaining movie. And for some reason it just fell through the cracks. Like I just didn't end up seeing it. And so actually I remember when you guys were emailing asking, you know, about movies that we were interested in and this came up, I was like, wow, perfect excuse to see this movie. I've been wanting to see it. Um, (laughs) So I kind of jumped at the chance to finally see it. But yeah, it it definitely flew under my radar when it came out. And I guess it just hasn't, it hadn't risen to the top of my lists in the years since. Yeah, I think too, it's like, it's a very kind of bizarre film. 
that stands, I think, outside the discourse of horror. It doesn't really seem like it was part of any sort of movement that was happening at the time. At least mm-hmm. I don't think so. And then you have the director who didn't really have a follow up. Uh, and then you have the star who, uh, Jess Wexler, Wexler. Um, yeah. Has she done? I don't feel like she's really. She went to Juilliard. She's friends with uh, what's her name? Zero Dark Thirty girl, uh, Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but she never and, really broke out. No. Despite uh, an she, amazing performance, I think, here. A really and, fantastic performance. And she got uh, recognition for it at Sundance, along with the film itself. Yeah. Uh, Lichtenstein assumed, just like I think a lot of people probably did, that it would go more of the midnight route, like most horror movies do at Sundance. Um, but it got main dramatic recognition, and so did uh, Jess Weixler. Um, But yeah, after that, she basically just did you know, the smallest indie films you can imagine um, for several years, steadily, like steadily yeah, employed. She works. Yeah. Um, and she was in a couple Jessica Chance Chastain movies recently, both uh, Ava, which bombed, and Eyes of Tammy Faye, which yeah. had some buzz, but I think yeah, is yeah, lost yeah. by now. Um, but she did play one of the uh, grown-up kids in It Chapter 2, um, which oh, yeah. is uh, pretty a pretty big get, especially considering the box office success of those movies and a recurring role on the good wife, uh, 19 episodes. So like, that's how I knew her. Okay. Good wife. (laughs) She, she's definitely not struggling, but yeah, star. She's not a star. Yeah. And so like the big question here is like, this is a horror comedy. Um, but for some reason it feels quite different than cabin of woods. One, it's not necessarily as quote, sort of wink, wink. Uh, mm-hmm. it's not, it, I think it's clever, but it's not really going for the, um, self-aware every 10 seconds vibe, which cabin in the woods definitely hits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's a little bit more of a traditional narrative, obviously. Um, I don't know. How would you guys relate the two? Um, like, what do you think that there's some overlap here? Hmm. The only thing that comes to mind right off the bat, other than, I mean, they're both Lionsgate. And I think there is like a vibe to Lionsgate, both before and after uh, the MGM debacle. Um, I mean, I think uh, essentially the Saw franchise is what brought this studio um, to life after just being middling for uh, several years. And so it's, it's got that kind of, both films have that kind of, um, grimy undercurrent where it's like it's very clearly counterculture and it doesn't care too much about being capital a art Mm -hmm. and yet they (laughs) are still trying to say something uh they have they have some running commentary whether it's uh commentary on a genre of art like cabin in the woods or commentary on um you know deeply rooted misogyny and abstinence culture uh, mm-hmm. I found it very telling as a public school teacher to rewatch this um, since I've become a teacher and seeing uh, the same exact, you know, decades old uh, stand from school boards on censoring happening mm-hmm. here and now in the current events of our times all over again. Uh, so I think that it's still, I would say that you know, even it's five years older than Cabin in the Woods, and they both have things to say. I feel like Teeth 
has more to say and it's still more it's more prevalent than ever i mean what do you think like what do you think is yeah. there like the crossover here do you um yeah what do you think well i was gonna say to chrissy yeah it has teeth <laughs> yeah um yes. but yeah i agree it, it in terms of lasting social commentary it is it does speak to a more pervasive issue of misogyny um violence against women and uh and sexual violence it's um i i think it definitely has staying power in that way and and addressing like a real social issue versus commenting on a genre i think for me, the common ground between the two movies lies in their kind of wicked sense of humor. Like, yeah. I think to the scenes where <laughs> after the attacks, we've got uh, Josh Pace, who's lost his fingers to uh, <laughs> what he's, a, he's a gross gynecologist who stuck his fingers in her and then got them chopped off. And they have him on the operating room table being like, are you sure you don't want to tell us how this happened? And he just grabs the anesthesia yes. thing and like sticks it on his face. And I Great feel like shot. it's those kind of moments. And later on when yeah. they're putting the kids part of his dick back on and they're like, ah, there's nothing right home about here. He's barely, <laughs> who cares? He only really, not even worth this. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the common ground i see between these two movies is how yeah like that's a wicked, a, morbid sense of humor <laughs> yeah kind of that, that very dark pitch black sense of humor um the one thing that i was like as you guys are talking it sort of just popped into my head it's like teeth is a genre film right like this is mm -hmm. a schlocky genre mm -hmm. film that um has a pretty you know straightforward simple story uh, but is able to say a lot with that uh, sort of those within those genre rules. Um, whereas Cabin in the Woods feel like is Cabin in the Woods attacking films like this? <laughs> you son of a I'm bitch. These softballs you're, you're blowing it up just like Fran Kranz at the end of Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> hey, come on. This isn't Reddit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Is you know, I, I'm just, it, I it, it just popped into my head. I don't know if I agree with that statement or not. I was just saying like, huh, because I mean, Cameron in the Woods is doing what? It's just attacking sort of genres left and right. Boom, 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 boom. It's a lot of attacking. But here we have Teeth, which is, you know, a $2 million film. Mm -hmm. Pretty schlocky. Uh, definitely seems low budget when you're watching. It's like, oh, yeah, this is going to kind of all over the place. But it really, right. to me, it hits a home run. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think that you have uh, when it comes down to it, it almost it, Cabin in the Hoods was on the shelf for two years, but I feel like it easily could have been on the shelf for you know ten or fifteen years because oh. what Teeth is doing in two thousand seven seems to be so, almost like something that uh, Whedon and Goddard are ignoring. Um, you know, a few years later, when or whenever they're writing the script, shortly after, I guess, uh, the official release of Teeth um, in the late 2000s, there seems to be this suggestion in Cabin in the Woods, um, inherent in uh, the setup, the dialogue, and arguably the conclusion too, where like you, this is a genre that of film that is unsavable. But like, there have been people like. Uh, you know, surpassing um, all the expectations of the genre, 
you know, going all the way back to Scream and even arguably earlier than that. Like, it seems strange Mm -hmm. now thinking about it that, like, the evil dead cabin is there. But then, like, Sam Raimi's built one of the most successful careers in Hollywood uh, on that kind of self-aware brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, do we think uh, that makes me think of another question? Uh, this way less <laughs> controversial. <laughs> this is your last question, Dan. I'm cutting you off. How would Cabin in the Woods be? Can you make Cabin in the Woods today? And would it be mm. successful? After and think about this in terms of. And I think we're all all fans of. We hate the term elevated horror. I know we're all fans of it here. <laughs> uh, how would it work? Could you do like a cabin in the woods that sort of goes after Ari Asher's style? I, I don't know. That's very specific, I, but <laughs> I, I'm really not sure if it would work because although I, Chris, I feel like you were hitting on something earlier about this idea that it seems like every couple of years, somebody tackles the genre in a new way that people kind of, it leaves them kind of like scratching their head. Like, huh, I hadn't thought about horror like that. And that's why I, why I think it's so enduring is that, yeah, you know, it just, there are movements in horror and there are people who are disruptors and they come along and disrupt movements and start their own movements. And teeth is weird. I agree with you that it, Dan, it doesn't feel like it's part of a movement. It kind of exists in its own world. But if I had to draw a parallel between that and another movie, I would say Jennifer's body because yep. it's, yeah. it's came out around the same time. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got a similar commentary on like violence against women and uh, misogyny. And it's not quite as jokey as Jennifer's body. Like, cause I feel like Diablo Cody kind of has her own <laughs> kind yeah. of style, mm-hmm. but um, I definitely see at least a little similarity there in what they're trying to do. But that was not the question you asked. It was more about whether cabin in the woods would work today, which honestly oh. I don't think it would, because I feel like horror has moved on to do different things since then. <laughs> yeah. True. I will. I'll. I'll leave you guys with this though. Um, I did want to make note of it, and I almost forgot to until now. Uh, just started a new semester of film studies at school. Uh, teenagers, twenty twenty two. I always have them fill the whiteboard with as many of their favorite movies as they can think of. Uh, and guess what showed up there? Cabin Jennifer in the Park. Woods. Oh God. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, twenty twenty two. A sixteen year old in today's world you know, comes across that movie and still uh, finds something wonderful in it, which is impressive, though I do still ultimately agree, Evan, that I don't, I think we've, I think we've gone past that at this point, but it's very much a teenage movie. Like, yeah. And maybe it's like sort of spark notes for the horror genre. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also just got like that. I mean, you're so, we're also obsessed with like how clever we can be in high school. So I think that that's, I mean, that's maybe another parallel. Like, uh, it's teeth is amateurish, but it's made by a fifty-year-old guy. Yes, uh, and written and, by him. Yeah, right. And whereas uh, Cabin in the Woods very much feels like kind of Arrested Development mode, um, though incredibly witty. Still love it, Arrested Development. Um, any closing thoughts besides that, Evan? Once you, what's your closing thought on Cabin in the Woods and teeth? What do you got for us? Oh, so much pressure. <laughs> no pressure. This is no pressure zone. No, I, I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm glad I watched Teeth. I, I really, I, I, I think there is something there. I think there is an enduring commentary that is still relevant today. I think it's got a lot of great ideas. Um, I don't know if I would 
agree with you that it hits a home run. I think uh, there it's more like a triple for me. Um, it's I think a lot of great ideas, not all of them executed well. Um, and I'm just really think it's a bizarre twist that she has to fuck her stepbrother to death. <laughs> oh, that part does not hold up well at all. In fact, his character yeah. is nearly unwatchable. Yes. Like oh. just uh, that was a guy from Nip Tuck, right? Oh, right. Awful. Yeah. What a fumble. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, look past that. I look past it. <laughs> Still definitely great. worth a watch. It's uh, streaming on Tubi. That's how I watched it because I could not find my DVD. So oh. <laughs> I love you have a DVD. <laughs> I do. I do. Uh, Cabin in the Woods on Peacock. Uh, Teeth from 2007 on Tubi. Thank you so much, Evan, for joining us on this episode of Film Trace. 